0: And also I feel like I mean I've I've done enough in my chess career that I don't need to sit there while someone makes a fool of me, right? Oh uh, yeah. Like I, I, I can it's I, definitely I can afford to just to it's, just skip it's it. It's disrespectful, and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel a little bit like I'm disrespecting myself if I'm just sitting there uh, and someone's cheating against me, kicking my ass, and uh, you know, and I don't even know if they're cheating or not, or if they're just legitimately kicking my ass. <laughs>
1: Welcome back, everybody, to another C Squared podcast. We're in the middle of the U.S. Chess Championship right now. This is the second rest day, uh, October 14th. It's a beautiful Saturday here in Missouri. Um, Fabi, how's it going, man? Let's start it at that point. You've been so, playing eight rounds of the U.S. Championship. So far, so good.
0: You're in first position, one point lead. How are you feeling? Yeah, it's going all right so far. I mean, yesterday was quite a disappointment. I really did choke a big advantage, or winning advantage, more than more than a big advantage against Shankland. Uh, he was playing very recklessly, I thought, not not very well, and uh, and I got a really golden opportunity to win the game. And I mean, I wouldn't say that that would put the tournament away, certainly not, but it would definitely go a long way towards uh, cementing the lead. But it's still a good tournament situation. I mean, I, I'm. I'm in an interesting situation where I play the three three of the um, closest uh, players to me in score. So first, Hans Niemann, of course, who is very up and down here, but mm-hmm. still on plus one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Abhimanyu Mishra, who is also on plus one, having an excellent event. And then Wesley, of course, always uh, always usually is, is among the leaders in this tournament, so he's also on plus one. And then the last person who is a point behind me is Lanier Dominguez. So it's four players who are a point behind me and I play three of them. So you basically couldn't ask for a more, um, close finish, I guess you could say.
1: No, absolutely. And obviously the next one is going to be a very important one. You're playing Hans and you're playing with the black pieces. I think this is, mm, is it the first time that you're playing black against him? No, it's actually not, never mind. I've only mind. played black no, against him.
0: You've actually, I've played him three times. In classical chess, uh, of course, we've played some online rapid chess, and I'm not sure about blitz chess, but we've definitely played some online rapid chess. Yes. Last year, um, in terms of classical chess, I've played him three times all last year. I haven't played him this year yet. First, I played him in the Bundesliga, first game we ever played mm-hmm. with the black pieces. Then in the Sinkfield Cup, the eighth round of the Singfield Cup with the black pieces, and, and then the, the fourth, I think, fourth round of the U.S. Championship again with the black pieces. So, I've never played him with white only with black of course he is a, a evolving player we could say like he he is obviously young and his his chess is changing um, i guess you could say improving but uh, over the last year he hasn't made let's say a rating improvement but still his chess is definitely changing and he's learning things so it's always a different experience like you, you play a young player compared to one of the more established guys i mean he's he is still very young he is i guess 20 years old i'm not 100% sure 20 yes. or 21 but yes 20 but quite quite a young player for sure
1: 20 for sure because he uh, just played the world juniors so he's still considered to be a a junior um and uh yeah i mean his chest is definitely evolving sure rating wise he lost a little bit but uh i've been following him i've been with him at the world juniors as well i'm seeing the way he plays it's definitely very different than what we were seeing uh, last year. I would say he's a bit less prone to danger. Um, he's taking less risks at the same time. Even with that change, uh, he's still a very dynamic player. Um, like he used to be very, very, um, fairly aggressive uh very dynamic and now he's taking a little bit less risk i think he mentioned that you know he's he's getting a little bit older as well <laughs> uh but uh yeah we're all, we're all getting older <laughs> we're all getting older and you actually uh, talked about this changing style and you compared your uh 20s to uh, or your early 20s to
0: um the way you play yeah. right now this is not something i would apply to hans because he is still I mean he's still twenty, so he still I wouldn't seem extremely young. I mean yeah. I'm comparing like ten years ago, let's say obviously it's not just my play, but chess in general has changed a lot in the, in the last ten years, so sometimes you also have to go with the flow a bit and um I mean, we see the young players adapting for them it's easy because they they uh, well, they kind of grow up with this sort of modern chess and mm-hmm. um i I guess it also depends on your definition of modern chess, so do you consider? like you could consider chess be, you know, after the 70s modern chess, or you could consider it after the 2000s, or you could consider it in the last few years after, let's say, uh, engines started getting um, stronger because uh, they're programmed with, with the neural net, and okay, things have just changed. Stockfish has gotten much stronger and started with Alpha Zero and Leela, and uh, opening theory has started to develop much faster than before. So I I don't know what you count as modern chess, but definitely young players, they're they're growing up in the technology age that was a little bit less prevalent. Uh, Let's say if I go back to when I was 16 or something, I mean, still we had computers, but they weren't quite as um, authoritative. It was a completely
1: different game. It feels like chess has changed so much. And I was training one of my students uh, who is like a 22, 2300 level player. And I was training her against 22, to level players. And everybody knew so much theory, like the, the, the focus on theory nowadays is so extreme. And everybody also, everybody can nowadays defend very well. That's something that has changed in the past. I would say 10, 15 years, quite dramatically. It feels like everybody's just a
0: much stronger defender. Do you feel like that as well? Yeah, everyone is stronger. And I've seen some recent talk online about how uh, generally people keep underperforming. Mm. So let's say 2400s are underperforming against, for example, 2000s. I I, I haven't seen all the numbers, but there does seem to be a trend, which could also explain rating deflation that we've been seeing starting from the top, but definitely at all levels. All levels, uh, yeah. That people are starting to lose ratings somewhat. Do you remember uh, Juma Bayev's rating when you played him in the World Cup? Yeah, he was like 26
1: 30s or 40s. 26 30 40. Now he's 25 85. I just noticed that today. And I think at some point he was 26 50 plus also. So he lost a lot of rating as well. A lot of the players that I'm following, yeah. a lot of the players in their early 30s are starting to have severe rating drops. And I'm like, okay. You've been on the scene for a very long time. You've been always at around 2650 ish level, and now you're like under 2600.
0: There's definitely a rating deflation going on. Yeah, you can see it. You can see it starting from the top. Uh, So there's only one player over 2800. We know who that is. Obviously, it's Magnus, but he's in the starting to get into the low 2800 territory. I mean, he's not over 2850 anymore, so he's he's dropped a bit. If we go back a few years then i was like 28 20 or so and he was 28 60 or so right <laughs> so we've both dropped about 30 points uh, at some point i dropped even much more than that uh hikaru is the one person who gained but that's also because uh he he definitely found um a new flair to his game so he's he's been improving compared to like let's say some of his years were in he was in a slump right like we 2019 2020. But he's yeah. the only—he's the one exception. Okay, and Ali Reza because he was a, a child, and then he became a—he <laughs> became a strong, like a top player. But I think that's obviously a different case. Um, like Ding was twenty-eight hundred. He's twenty-seven eighty. Geary was twenty-seven eighty. He's twenty-seven fifty-eight. Um, okay, again, I can't count, count Gukesh because if we compare, he was a child back then. Wait a minute. Um, Geary's twenty-seven fifty-eight right now. Currently twenty-seven fifty-eight point three. Holy smokes! But the thing is, which which I've really noticed, is that 27.50 would not get you in the top 10 in the past. If I go back uh, even 10 years, I don't think it would have gotten you in the... um, or or 5 years. It wouldn't have gotten you in the top 10. Now there are two players, 27.50, in the top 10. Wesley, 27.48. Um, Okay, some players maintain their rating, some don't, but Maxime, 27.34. And he was quite a bit lower recently, and he gained some rating in the European Club Cup. So we're going to see this, and also, in the 2700 list, there was at some point like 45 people 2700 plus. Hmm. Now there's 37. So yeah. you can also apply that to the 2600 plus or the top 100. The top 100, the lowest rated, is lower than it used to be quite significantly. Do you think this is going to continue or are we just going to see an on inflation once again? I mean, I'm not a mathematician. I don't really know. Like, I, someone would have to study. Uh, what the reason is because it, it's probably due to the rating system it's probably because the rating points are going to uh, a certain group of players which might be young players mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. uh, underrated and they're starting to to gobble up all the rating that could be the reason uh, but perhaps there's another reason perhaps it could be because of uh, let's say some uh, peculi- peculiarities of the rating system where if you beat a certain player who is much much lower than you, you get increasingly less rating the more times you play a player of that rating. I don't know. There's things like that which I don't even know much about because I don't really play people who are who are that much lower rated than me. But um, but that there there's certainly some reason, and I, I wouldn't know what it is. Whether it will continue or at some point balance out, maybe we'll we'll reach this. Um, that that I can't say. I okay, know. let's let's get a bit edgy uh nepo just mentioned he tweeted uh
1: this is his last tweet from yesterday judging by the current state of affairs obviously he was by the way reacting to um, the situation in qatar the game between um alistar and um alistair, alistair i don't know exactly how that one is pronounced and magnus um Judging by the current state of affairs in online and over the board chess, either the cheating situation is completely out of control, or the rating system needs
0: to be reformed, or both. Your reaction to that? I think, first of all, he's mostly talking about cheating. Yes. Now, maybe he feels it's both ways, but he definitely feels there's a cheating issue, as many other players do. I don't know how extensive he thinks the cheating issue is whether it let's say permeates to over the board play or if it's just contained to the online world where at this point there's i mean someone would have to have their head fully in the sand to deny that online chess has has a cheating problem yeah now the extent of the cheating problem it can be debated but that there are people cheating in, for example title tuesday i mean we like there's not a single person who will deny that unless they are a cheater and they don't want people to be looking but uh you know let's say chess.com is probably trying to get ahead of the game they're trying to to ban cheaters they're trying to um put regulations in place that it's difficult to cheat but if you don't have cameras on people and the punishment is not too severe then there's just no way to avoid this like you you either need to increase the punishment or you need to increase the measures yeah now, yeah, for Title Tuesday, maybe it doesn't matter so much. Maybe the prizes aren't that big. Maybe there's not too much on the line. It's still very frustrating. I, I sometimes skip Title Tuesday because uh, I-, I have no interest in it anymore. I mean, um, I don't particularly want to be playing people who may or may not be cheating, and I won't possibly know. And they could be cheating uh, for some moves or not for others, and then I'll just be left wondering at the end yeah. why my results are worse in Title Tuesday than over-the-board chess. I mean, I understand the reason why, but... I don't know who is doing it right that's just it's a guessing game now um I started to get a bit more aggressive in terms of how much cheating I think there is Mm -hmm. I I feel like so you feel like there's more right now I feel like people underestimate the extent in title Tuesday specifically like I'm speaking about title Tuesday just because it's the it's the only uh tournament that I can think of that's that's played by many many strong players where there are prizes and no measures. Yeah, and by no measures I mean no cameras. Um, some players I think can be selected for like a random random security check we can call it. Yeah, but um, but generally speaking, like you don't you don't have to put on a camera to play Tile Tuesday yeah it used to be different title Tuesday used to be a
1: different format basically you were having this open tournament and then that was qualifying you to some sort of a playoff where the cameras were being turned on that was dropped I think in the last year year and a half and right now we, we basically just uh use an open tournament and the top three or top whatever get prizes
0: yeah it's it's changed I remember those days as well I didn't play them too often uh, I, I never had like great interest in it. I mean, because the money is, you know, it's it's all right. I mean, for basically sitting at home potentially in your underwear, <laughs> not doing a whole lot, yeah, you get a chance at some money. On the other hand, the frustration with people cheating, and also I feel like, I mean, I've I've done enough in my chess career that I don't need to sit there while someone makes a fool of me, right? Oh uh, yeah, like I I, I can it's I, I can afford to just to it's, just skip it's it. It's disrespectful. And, yeah yeah. Yeah, I feel a little bit like I'm disrespecting myself if I'm just sitting there uh, and someone's cheating against me, kicking my ass, and, uh, you know, and I don't even know if they're cheating or not, or if they're just legitimately kicking my ass. Um, that being said, I, I will just say this as a general message to people who cheat in Tile Tuesday who are strong players. Like I, I pretty much know when, when they're doing it. Um, I mean, they might think they're clever, but I've played them over the board and I've played them online. So I, I feel the difference. I mean, I understand you don't suddenly get 200 points stronger, and you don't start to beat me every game when when over the board things are not the same. It just it it would be absurd, right? Uh, so uh, if they think they're being clever, I mean, I I can kind of tell when you're doing it, and uh, yeah, maybe you'll maybe you'll beat me and feel good about yourself, or maybe you'll get a bit of money. But I really don't feel like it's worth it for them yeah. in the long run. I mean, they kind of destroy their integrity um so yeah I mean I'll try to take like a philosophical approach like okay if you really want to do it if you really want to win this game then then go ahead um yeah what to do I at that that time time you have to be also thinking about what's going on in their lives right
1: I mean there's definitely something wrong that's going on in their lives if they have to do this it's the way I approach the YouTube comments or like any sort of like uh, comments in general that you know bash you for no reason Okay. If you're actually taking the time out of your day to write this complete nonsense and, and, and ugly stuff about anybody, then obviously things are not going great for you
0: in your life. So, okay. Have at it. What can I do? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Definitely. It's like, it's, it's their issue. It's not the person who is not cheating, right? It's a cheater's issue. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it still doesn't destroy the integrity of the game. And that it just, uh, like, everyone knows it happens and there's nothing that anyone can really do about it is very frustrating. So when we spoke to Kramnik, he estimated that 25% of titled players in Title Tuesday. I don't know if if he specified Title Tuesday or, or just, like, all online chess. But he said that about a quarter of people were cheating. And I would guess it's actually much higher than that. Ooh, much higher. Okay, that's pretty severe, actually. I think it's it's probably over half uh, people will probably think I'm paranoid, but I, I really do feel like it is about over half who probably just very just very sporadically just a little bit here and there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and because I feel it with a lot of players like I, I understand maybe it gets in your head a bit, but sometimes it's not in my head at all. I don't even think it. And then the game ends and I'm like, what the fuck just happened to me? Right. Like this, this random guy just, I mean, not random guy, but it's a strong player, but I've, I've played this person before. Like they just blew me off the board. I'm like, I understand, um, that the, our difference in strength should not allow this. Okay. I had a bad game, let's say. So next game, then it happens again against the same person. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Mm -hmm. And of course I can't prove it. Uh, it's when I look at the game, of course there's mistakes. Yeah. But if someone just decides to look at their phone at some point during one game, this is already such a big help. Oh uh, huge, huge. And and it could be done at random moments, like just to see There's the no assessment you don't
1: even need to see uh the move you you can just see the assessment okay I'm better right now or I'm worse um and if I'm worse maybe I will be able to see one move that's going to get me out of trouble like one intervention is all you need basically at that level like a 2600 with the option of checking their phones uh once per game against the 2800 I think that's getting close to level
0: yeah I think so this um yeah I would say so because also it can make them much more confident at the start of the game that they can play quickly and then if need be they can always bail themselves out right, uh, right. and that's why you can't look at you can't even look at the games like you can I think you can only look at the results hmm. you just have to compare the results of someone online to over the board because if you look at the games of course they're gonna have mistakes they're maybe only doing it here or there I mean the they'll start to blunder maybe in time trouble you don't even know when they're going to do it maybe it's a move 12 maybe it's a move 55 um So like, there's no, there's so many possible ways to cheat when the cameras aren't on a person that you can't even, uh, there's no point in even thinking about how they would do it because there's like 15 different ways, 15 different methods. So whatever methodology you think they're using, uh, yeah, it might not be. And so the only way is to compare, well, this guy is 2,600 over the board and he has never like even gotten top 20 in a world blitz championship. And he's been 2,600 for the last like five, six years without much like fluctuation. But then in Title Tuesday, this person suddenly, uh, like, let's say gets second place uh, 10% of the time. And every one in 10, they win a Title Tuesday. And sometimes they just go, like, you have to to win a Title Tuesday, you have to go nine to nine and a half out of 11, and sometimes over nine and a half, which. which is what, plus six at uh, nine and a half? Plus that's, six. In my that's game. huge. That is absolutely plus six, huge, yeah. Against against sometimes top level players. So for a twenty if someone is twenty five fifty and they're winning a Title Tuesday, this should actually be a once in a lifetime event. <laughs> there should not be a single twenty five fifty who who has won more than two Title Tuesdays. Now I'm not saying it's impossible. Of course we shouldn't be um, condemning people because they win a tournament. Obviously like 2500s. They can play at a super strong level. We saw that in Qatar, right? Magnus lost to um, to 2500, and then today suddenly he drew a 2500, who's beating him. Obviously, it's possible to play this very high level, but if someone's over the board results and online results are not consistent over not one tournament but over an extended period of time, I think it's like basically a red flag. Almost, I would put at like a very high certainty if if I see this and. If you look through the names of people, there are a lot of people who have a huge inconsistency in their online over the board results. And the most interesting thing is that this inconsistency started when money started to go into online chess That's right. Yeah. That's it, a big one. It started basically three years ago. The a lot of the players they only started to have success online three years ago. Yeah. Like from pandemic times. Yeah. yeah, So it's it's the timing. Everything is a huge coincidence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very nice coincidence. And I think generally speaking, the simplest um, explanation is usually correct one. Uh, And the simplest explanation is not that they that a huge amount of players suddenly all at the same time improved once money started to get poured into online chess No, Well, it's it's probably something else, right? yeah no and this is
1: online chess uh Nepo also mentioned over the board chess and i think he was mostly thinking about over the board chess because of um the game that he was um he was thinking about the one between the kazakh grandmaster 23 year old um against magnus completely absolutely demolished him right? and, and magnus said that as well and we will um, reiterate his tweets in just a second but he also mentioned nepo that is over the board chess um so i think he's starting to get worried about that i think a lot of people are starting to get worried about that Uh, i saw mvl commenting on it as well basically taking magnus's stance and just to uh, kind of uh, get to that i will read his tweet and i will also preface it with the situation um what exactly happened this was round two at qatar masters Magnus uh, was um, playing Alisher Suleymanov, uh, a 2512 rated Grandmaster from Kazakhstan. Um, he's 23 years of age, so he's not a completely full spring chicken, um, just became a Grandmaster. Uh, I believe it's this year or late last year, so he's uh, pretty new on the scene. And I don't think I've ever seen Magnus or I cannot remember the last time Magnus lost a game like that. Um, And I'm sourcing from all of the top tournaments that he has played against the best chess players on the planet. I cannot remember the last time Magnus lost in 20 something moves or like 30 moves, but he could have resigned that move 20. Um, It it was it was bad. It was ugly. Um, And you could attribute that. um, the risky way in which Magnus played definitely you can do that at the same time there has to be some attention on this result because of uh, his uh, because of its peculiarity now Magnus tweeted immediately after he lost he tweeted the following he said I was completely crushed in my game today This is not to accuse my opponent of anything, who played an amazing game and deserved to win. But honestly, as soon as I saw my opponent was wearing a watch early in the game, I lost my ability to concentrate. Uh, This was his first tweet. After that, he said, I obviously take responsibility for my inability to deal with those thoughts properly, but it's also incredibly frustrating to see organizers still not taking anti-cheating seriously at all no transmission delay Sp- spectators walking around the playing hole with smartphones okay this is a big one spectators walking around the playing hole with smartphones that's absolutely unacceptable um delay we can get into that in just a second but let's start with the smartphones um how was that even remotely
0: considered to be allowed I mean this is absolutely ridiculous yeah I mean Organizers, generally speaking, have never taken cheating too seriously, uh, and I'm not speaking about this game. I mean, I, I actually don't believe that there was anything that would cause me to believe this is like a fishy game. Um, and again, I'm not going to like take one game as uh, like a, a tournament. Sure, if a right. tournament could be a, a real outlier, but one game. I mean, things can happen. Like Magnus is expected to lose every random occurrence to a 2500. Right. This is, he, he's not going to win 100 games out of 100 he'll probably lose one out of a 100 or whatever it is I don't know what the, the numbers will say but um but this is expected so he loses this this game to um to Suleymenov. and uh, but yeah in general chess organizers don't take cheating seriously and I've seen this in many tournaments over the years Uh, It's only once it becomes an issue that they have to address that they actually address it. But at the start, it's just carelessness. They just don't think about it. They're like, okay, we we have this tournament to organize. We need the playing hall. We need the arbiters. We need the chess boards, this and that. Uh, They don't think we need to ensure people are not cheating until some sort of minor controversy occurs. Whatever it may be, it could be minor, major. Uh, Obviously, when it was Magnus and Hans, it was major. This one is a minor one. You would say this one is a minor one? No, no, no. I think this is a pretty major one as well. Well, there, there's no cheating accusation. Nobody's accusing anyone of cheating. Magnus just said that he wants there to be tighter security measures. Now, he should have probably done it before the tournament started. Uh, he probably should not have timed it so that it's right after he loses to a 2500. Right. That seems like poor timing. But, um, but nevertheless, he's not accusing... Suleymanov of cheating, and although some people have talked about it, I don't think anyone has made like an accusation against him. Uh, of course, yeah, it's uh, it's an outlier of a result. It's definitely unusual, but a 2500 has a chance, whatever that chance may be, maybe it's a 2% chance of beating a 2800. So uh, it's not like the result itself is going to um, in one game, the result itself is not going to draw much suspicion now in terms of the games the game yeah magnus got crushed uh i'll just like give my take on it Mm -hmm. yeah please yeah the queen's indian is a good opening uh plays a3 which is not the most popular line these days most people are playing g3 but okay a3 is a fine move yes um it's it's just not so theoretically dangerous because after bishop b7 to begin with white is not considered to really have very much there Mm -hmm. um Knight c3 and, and d5, there's a lot of theory here as, as well. Okay, bishop a6 is also not a bad move from a theoretical point of view. Queen c2, bishop b7, knight c3, c5. I played this once against Safarli in Gashim Memorial in, I think, 2016. e4, cd4, knight d4. I think it's considered equal also after knight c6 here, but I don't remember exactly. But okay, he plays bishop c5. Magnus probably had some familiarity with this, but not great familiarity. Because from what I know about Magnus's openings, like he, ha- he knows something about everything. But he might not have, let's say, checked it very deeply himself. Maybe he's relying on his second to um, uh, to disseminate the information for him, and he he, ch- he just sees the file that his second gives, or or maybe he has some vague knowledge and he doesn't. He's not like super super checking every single detail of every opening, yeah. which explains why after nice c six b four, he didn't play a bishop d six, which is probably the best move. Uh, then he plays bishop b seven. Now he gets a little bit of passive position. I thought his move queen b8 was bizarre. I didn't think that this was the right way to go about it, but okay, let's say queen b8, rook d1, um, castle, two castle, d6, castle, okay. Rook c8. Like, the reason I thought queen b8 is a, is a bit strange is because, okay, black's rook on a8 really should be on d8, or e8, yeah. but it shouldn't be on a8. Now after rook fu1, bishop f8, bishop f1, like, both sides are making pretty typical moves, right? I mean, you can always debate which is best, but they all seem pretty normal and this is more or less a position where white is a bit better, but not a whole lot better. Right. And then Magnus played 97 and basically this is the moment when he just loses the game without a chance after this move. And I saw there was some uh, post by Vasif Mm Darabaili where he basically said 97 was a normal move and I think it is kind of a normal move but it is also a, a lazy move because of course you want to put your knight on g6 very typical, but just concretely, once you start to to calculate it a bit, it does feel like this is not going to work out. And I think Magnus played this very quickly, mm-hmm. so there was an element of superficiality in his play. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. And okay, knight B five, I think is one of the first moves that you consider in this position. Okay, like it might you might not decide to play it, but the first move I would calculate is probably knight to B five here because I'm attacking both the pawn and the knight not six. And okay, Magnus probably should have allowed bishop of six. Not an easy choice, but he probably should have done it after ninety eight. Knight 9, 9, g six already...
1: or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, knight g six. Okay, it's not not the most beautiful position, but yeah, at least you don't lose tactically. After ninety eight, you actually lose tactically. Um, now knight g five. Is it a difficult move? Uh, it's it's certainly not. Let's say a simple move, but it's one of the moves I would consider, and other moves I would consider are just various ways to attack d six, such as queen d two. But then knight g6, okay, we're, we're maybe not getting anywhere we're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was a two move sequence. Knight b5 was, mm-hmm. he took 16 minutes. Knight g5, he played within three minutes. So basically, when he played knight b5, he probably had the idea to play knight g5. Mm-hmm. Now, he also has a move like e5, for example. I mean, there are options. Inside so, of knight g5. Yeah, so magnus's play is perhaps rather dubious, regardless of whether knight g5 is strong or not. Like, e5 is a very dangerous move, mm-hmm. uh, allowing bishop f3, but. Black is extremely passive. Like I think if you see this position, you realize that there's a lot of tactical danger for Black, whether or not he can actually... But Knight G5 is very strong. So Now, what's the difficulty with this move? H6. Uh, I do don't do think H6, H6 is difficulty. To start with, because if, if I want to play safe, I can just play E5 here. I threaten mate, and after HG5, E6, this is like a two-move tactic. And then okay. you lose your piece back directly. This is a two-move tactic. I don't really need to calculate any more to decide upon Knight G5. Okay. if i don't see anything more this will already convince me to play it because once you move your knight i don't know where you want to move it knight g6, say five, five, g6. d7 so i obviously get the piece back yeah I take on e8 you take back and to me it's clear that white has a certain advantage here because first of all the the position is open while white's pieces are all pretty ideally placed and even if i don't see any like concrete way to continue this position I still feel like i'm better so i can just like calculate up to this point and figure i'll find something if we get here yeah and okay bishop d3 is very strong very natural move then knight can go to e to bishop can go to e4 knight bishop can go to e5 after the knight moves and black is obviously in a great deal of tactical danger yeah now what duro by duro byly said is that after h6 the brilliant point is knight f7 king f7 e5 and then after the pawn moves for example d5 then queen h7 which is not the only uh dangerous move but Queen H7 is pretty crushing because Bishop E2 Bishop H5 comes. Mm-hmm. Um, is this difficult? Like, I don't know if I feel it's so difficult because, like, first of all, I had that safety net in terms of E5, and also, I really feel like this is tactically dangerous. I think like alarm bells would be ringing for me. Uh, it's not easy to sacrifice a piece, but certainly this is one of the moments when you would consider it because, uh, yeah, Black's king is in the center and his queen is on B8, his rook on A8, knight on E8, and so on. Right. So. Oh, right. There's two reasons why I wouldn't think h6 is like a really dangerous move. When I, I would actually consider knight g6 to be the most natural move, right? Uh, because here to continue, you don't have like very obvious, you don't have a very forcing path. Now you have the way that he played, which is, um, I mean, it could certainly convince you, but it's not like super forcing because as he played E5, then there's D5 and you don't have like an immediate knockout blow. Mm-hmm. But still, I feel like, let's say you calculate E5 and you see that D5, there's, you just take on E5, Bishop takes E5 and you win the game because the knight is pinned. Yeah. So, and now you're no longer worried about H6 because there's always Knight E6 among other things. So worst case, like H6 shouldn't concern you. Right. Which means that the only dangerous move here is, well, the only, not dangerous, I shouldn't say dangerous. The only move that could potentially bother you is D5. Mm-hmm. Because now at least uh, your e5 pawn can, can't capture anything, so you kind of have to uh, find a way forward. On the other hand, the knight on e8 is absolutely terrible. So even if I don't calculate anymore, I could probably decide on knight g5 just seeing this position, just seeing like knight g5, knight g6, e5. Yeah. So it's not a great deal to calculate. I think it's fully within the realm of uh, a player who is even uh, significantly weaker than Suleymanov. Like I think also I would expect a 2350 to be able to work through these variations. I think what he was um,
1: pointing towards the fact that he never saw this idea of Knight B5, Knight G5, putting the
0: Knights on the side like this in this type of structures.
1: Have you ever seen it?
0: Um, I don't know, maybe or maybe not, but uh, like that's a kind of weird way to approach chess like i've never seen it before so, so it shouldn't play. exist <laughs> <laughs> right i can never play anything i've never seen it before yeah that, that was no one of his, games his points yeah no i understand like of course it's it's very difficult to crush magnus like this it's not it doesn't happen every day but it really does boil down to he he played some poor moves he made some poor choices in the middle game from yeah. a slightly worse position and the guy just went forward with moves which maybe aren't the most natural i don't know maybe knight b5 knight g5 is not so natural but certainly not out of the question Mm -hmm. and yeah his his technique was very clinical like queen b3 is the best move Mm -hmm. uh the queen is very often going to h3 once you see this idea i again it's it's one of those ideas um, if you don't see it you could say that it's a very difficult idea if you do see it then maybe you just play it like this is how very often chess is you uh like sometimes moves just like click they just come into your mind and then you just play them and sometimes Moves just don't come into your mind. And then we say, oh, it was a difficult move. But uh, we don't really have a, uh, let's say, a system for deciding what's difficult and what's not. We just have kind of our feeling. And our feeling is very personal. It's like, do I find this difficult? Well, you might find something difficult that others don't. So I, I don't know. Now, the rest of the game was brilliant. I mean, bishop e7, knight f7, not the only good move, but that was just complete destruction of black's position. Yeah. The king is out on f8, and basically what like you have to see 94 I mean uh, Mm. when you go for the sacrifice you don't have to see it you also win with other moves do you have other moves like what rookie rookie three rookie Rookie three three. wins yeah I guess Uh, you
1: don't actually have to see it rookie three rook D8 Rook F3 and then you move the queen and you get the piece on F6
0: on the other hand I don't think it's difficult I mean you basically uh black has very limited options because the only thing that can disrupt white's play is attacking the queen I mean, right. why, black can't like make a generic move, because your king can't move, your queen can't move without losing it, your rook on c8 has no purpose of moving, knight 6 is coming. Knight f4, you would calculate knight f4 and knight c7. After you calculate those moves, you're done. That's basically it. Right. So knight c7, you just queen f3, king g and knight c6, done. Um, it's, not, it's pretty straightforward calculation. Now, is it easy again? I don't know what easy is, but I think that I would probably find this in a blitz game this night okay. of, if i got to this point after queen b3 bishop b7 right i think this is like blitz blitz tactics yeah uh, and he did kind of do it within two minutes i mean it's like more or less i think the level of confidence i would have two minutes to calculate this stuff in a classical game yeah and then after that he just played instantly because it's very clear he calculated um knight up F4, to ninety four probably and then he thought a bit because he has an option here so it's a normal time to pause and then after knight d4, knight f4, he played queen f3 instantly, because it's obviously the only logical move, although not the only move again. Uh, and then he takes the the, the knight, obviously, mm-hmm. instantly. And then he thinks about knight f5, it's very normal, because again, you have various options. Knight f5 is the most natural one, yeah. but you have other moves, like, I mean, g actually any move, because at this point you're just kind of up material and positionally winning. So I was looking at the game, and immediately after queen b7, my first instinct, in
1: the moment right now was knight to five um i think that's the first thing that we think about it is just an aggressive move it's it's a forward move and you bring another piece towards the attack so also it, it,
0: very much and i think very important it supports bishop c4 and this yeah, is something that no, i, I think knight to of five is what you time. could play you could play this in two seconds yes. and it would be the good move or you could play it in two minutes if you want to be like ultra precise and sometimes you just want to find the most clinical way to win because it's very clear to everyone that white is winning now um among other reasons because the knight on e8 is uh completely gone mm-hmm. and white has all the light squares and white is also like two pawns for the knight and the knight for the rook is uh a lot of material so knight of five okay the rest of the game is we don't even have to talk about i think that magnus will not survive and nobody would survive even a computer wouldn't survive against anyone it, it sure, was done. and
1: i think magnus was also done at that point like he was just making moves to make moves until he needs to resign, but he understood that the outcome is not very
0: much in question. Yeah, it's it's clear. I mean, um, so I don't see anything weird in this game. Like, I mean, I see p- people say stuff about this game. I don't, I don't really understand it. I mean, Magnus had a bad day. It happens. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see anything too strange. So leaving aside the, the actual
1: game um, and the performance of uh, his uh, opponent, let's try to kind of dissect his second part of uh, the tweet about the anti-cheating measures being taken seriously and um, also discuss what happened after um, Magnus uh, tweeted this so basically electronics um, watches pens, anything that triggers the alarm bells um, at the security checkpoint uh, is not allowed in the playing call and this is an interesting uh, part of it because one of my students plays at the Qatar masters and he actually triggered the uh, metal detector but they were like okay you can go
0: in <laughs> they, they, they didn't yeah. care
1: about anything Uh there is no, a... Magnus
0: is generally correct I mean he's <laughs> his timing was off but of course people should not have anything on them yeah we've already for years I saw people put photos of like Kikaru with the watch and me with the watch I'm like okay for years and years I mean you're they're looking back on like 2013. Watches 2013. were fine. Yeah. Watches were always yeah. fine. For I don't remember exactly when it happened, but for many years I've known that you don't really wear a watch. Um whatever kind of watch it is, I also have a I mean I, I also have a mechanical watch, right? It's uh, I don't know if you ca- I don't know how it works. Like maybe you can hide a cheating device in it, maybe you can't buy it. Maybe. Oh you I don't know the, the specifics. But you don't wear a watch. That's it. And uh, it's not on the player because players, they just kind of, they might, might not know the rules. So, but the organizer should be telling players. There's no downside to it. You just tell players, okay, don't wear a watch. Like in the US Championship, we can't wear watches. We can't take our own pens. We can't uh, do this. Maybe it's very silly. I don't know, but uh, you don't do it and it doesn't hurt anyone. No, I completely agree. And I do think that the organizers are
1: in the wrong in this one and uh, specifically also the arbiters because Magnus also tweeted after that. he was. I did ask an arbiter during the game whether watches were allowed and he clarified that smart watches were banned but uh, not analog watches, Um, which is not the case. Uh, The feeder rules do specify that uh, all sorts of watches pretty much have to be um, uh, kept in the room, not brought to, to the board. So in that case, I guess he was right not really sure what the Arbiter could have done at that point during the game once he was already allowed to bring whatever he had watches well again I don't see
0: the the downside like you just tell them uh okay you you can't wear your watch just give it to us and we'll give it to you back after the game yeah we we didn't realize that you were wearing it but you're not allowed to have it and like what's why would the player complain I mean even if it's during the game just like okay not on their move but they they make a move. They get up from the board or whatever, and just tell them, "Yeah, please give your watch, and then we'll give it to you back up to the game." Right. Uh, for example, uh, I can't count how many times during a tournament I'm not allowed to put a water bottle on the board because maybe they don't like the spot. They don't like to have a sponsor or, or like a company logo next to the board, so they don't want you to put your water bottle. Waddle, sorry, water <laughs> bottle on the, on the board. Yes. So, and they say during the game, I'm like, "Okay, I'll put it under the table." And yeah, that's it. I mean, what's the big deal? I don't know for an organizer. I think it's uh, it's normal to do this.
1: Right. Um, so obviously a couple of camps in this one, the ones taking Magnus side, uh, the ones accusing, uh, of basically some wrongdoings. I've seen a couple of tweets of uh, that nature as well. And the people saying that Magnus was in the wrong, uh, leave your comments. Um, tell us what you think about this whole situation. This is probably going to be developing, but one good thing that came out of it was um, Qatar masters and the organizers actually, um, taking some important steps to, to, to make the situation better. And I'm going to try to find the exact, um, these exact thing that they did, but basically they made it much more difficult to, uh, to bring anything to the board. Fair play measures. There we go. Boom. Announcement. Let's see. The following instructions. Complete the information shared during the technical meeting, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Players will receive a colored token corresponding to their section uh, at their board. Only players carrying their token may uh, circulate in areas restricted to the players during their game and are expected to remain in their section of the playing area. That's a bit strange. I've never seen that. Basically, you are um, yeah, you are given a specific area that you can walk around in and then you cannot enter other areas. And let's not forget this is a big stadium they're playing in. It's a very spacious uh, playing hall. So, uh, and it's a pretty big tournament as well. So, there's a lot of boards you can you were able to go around pretty much anywhere you wanted not anymore you have to stay within your area media may stay in the playing area during the first 10 minutes of the round um after that only the official photo video staff may work in the areas restricted to the players okay spectators shall remain in the stadium stands Mm, okay i'm actually kind of surprised that wasn't the case before and other fair play measures 15 minute delay. That's very important. Um, I, th- so for example, right now at the US championship, we're doing 30 minutes delay. Generally 15 minutes is kind of the standard, uh, especially for like big events. Uh, no delay. doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you should put at least a five, 10, 15 minute delay. Your take on that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, well, Okay, I'm, I'm kind of in two camps here. On the one hand, I think to combat cheating and delay is very important. On the other hand, it, it would pretty much, uh, if chess was ever like a big, big sport, it, it would not be ideal as a spectator sport.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, just because players, uh, people who are watching, they want to see what's happening in real time, right? Right. I guess that's, that's pretty standard. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I, I would say cheating is a bigger issue. So, yeah, just to avoid any sort of potential um, like I was asked this recently like how, how could you cheat in, in a tournament like the US championship and I'm sure that there is some sort of way but it would be incredibly difficult because first of all you w- would need a second person most likely unless you can somehow uh, I don't know what you would have to try to sneak in but but they do use serious scanners now that I don't think it would be easy to sneak something in that you could actually get moves on your own. I still think you need some sort of trans transmitting device, which I don't know, like someone mentioned that you could put something in your tooth that vibrates, uh, or obviously there was some, um, other place you could we put something that was, you know, the, that was the topic of discussion once the beats, uh, the, beats the beat story, but, uh, but in, yeah, like, I don't know, maybe you can put something in your tooth that would, would vibrate something, but, um, but even then you need yeah. a second person. Yeah, you need a second person, and that person would still be delayed unless they have some way to get the information, which means you would need a third person on the inside, which is very unlikely. So let's assume that that person gets information on a 30-minute delay. Now, I thought about my game yesterday against Shankland. Basically, once he plays D5, uh, I can figure out most of the stuff on my own. And if I had someone, some way of getting information from a second party, it would definitely be possible for me to think for 30 minutes in this position. That thinking time would be, um, would be useful, generally speaking, as I'm playing the game. And then after I make the move, which I understand is a critical move, which is ED5, which is what I did in that game, then I go to uh, the bathroom, let's say, <laughs> and I, I, sub- I get whatever uh, information I can get from my second party. Mm-hmm. And that second party get- tells me more or less what's happening in the position. In whatever way they could do that, right? Uh, so maybe they would tell me that after Queen D5, which is the only logical move, that um, they would give me like a two-move sequence, and that 30 minutes that I w- thought for, which allowed my partner to catch up. Then uh, I can. Uh, I, I mainly used it to calculate, so of course I, I can also play chess myself. So I I got some calculation in there, and then with the additional little information that I got from this second party, then I can start to put stuff together and more or less figure out what I missed, which is after knight C6, knight HF5 is a winning move. Uh, and then what I didn't see was that after ED4, I can sacrifice on H6 and it leads to a crushing attack. So uh, that's like one, that's one way, for example, one moment from my own game where I thought about it and I was like, on the other hand, it's, it's enormously risky, it's very difficult. It might not work out most of the time, but if you're a 2700 player it will probably even that alone would probably give you a bump to let's say 2750 player or 2800 player uh, so it's still possible but it's about as good as you can get from uh, in terms of deterring or preventing cheating and that's why i don't think that there's any chance that people would cheat in under these circumstances now if you don't have any measures then i think the it's very likely you will get some person who will do something. Mm-hmm. And if it's online, uh, the temptation is enormously high because they, they're in the, a room alone, and that just lowers your inhibitions enormously because you feel like you're not being watched by anyone. Mm. And you might have your phone. Like when I play, I keep my phone nearby when I play Tile Tuesday. I, never, I don't check it during the game, but I keep it nearby. And then in between games, I'll check my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you have your phone nearby, it's just like it's very tempting, right? Just pull it out and look at the move. Yeah, uh, which I, I think is the reason why it's it's also con- It's a con- convenience factor. It's not just about can I do it. It's also is this easy to do and. Okay, uh, title Tuesday you. is extremely easy. Yeah, I mean there's. Yeah. Well, just, I mean Tuesday, any a, anybody a that wants to cheat
1: it. can yeah. can can cheat easily. Um. Yeah. No. I I think right now the discussion is is especially in the last couple of days the discussion is over the board. Like, how do we combat this? Uh, is it an epidemic over the board as well? Which, if it is, I don't think it is. Uh, but if it is, it's 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 a really really bad bad problem that we would additionally have uh, compared to what we have online okay so yes basically pens you're not allowed to bring your own pen um, items that trigger the security scanners during checks um, <laughs> may have to be left at the security checkpoint which is hilarious that that wasn't the case before as I mentioned uh, one of my players beeped and they didn't even ask him why uh players who have finished their games shall leave the restricted areas okay basically this is a good start um i i think these are good measures implemented by qatar makes everybody feel a little bit um at ease with everything that's happening especially um under the current circumstances another <laughs> i would say this is not okay i i think we're sitting on a time bomb with this tournament because this is not the only instance that happened in round two that was a bit peculiar another one was uh, with Fedoseev uh you heard what happened with uh, Fedoseev right yeah I saw uh so apparently okay Fedoseev 2700 loses the first game to like some 2450
0: I think I don't remember the exact number No, Fedoseev lost to 2280 I think that was the second round though oh sorry sorry, sorry. I, mis- I misheard you yeah yeah, yeah. so the first the, yeah. round he loses against 24 or something twenty four twelve. yeah okay
1: okay no problem uh second round he plays a twenty two fifty, and he loses again now mm-hmm. apparently uh, he had an hour and 34 minutes on his clock when his opponent made the last move in the game then he got up went to whatever the bathroom and never returned so basically he just left um forcing his opponent to wait an hour and thirty four minutes until he could sign the score sheets and win the game that's kind of a dick move <laughs> I'm not gonna lie that's kind of a dick move uh obviously he thinks something suspicious has been happening uh there's absolutely no reason why he would do that. He said that he will annotate the game he said that he will give more. Uh, of an insight to his side of the story later so that's a time uh time-taking bomb i think we're going to get some answers into that regard as well first reaction that
0: yeah i don't really know i mean obviously it's uh, it's not correct to do this but like i i would say it's, it's very bad um it's bad even in like online blitz games you just let your time run out people do that but yeah uh, if you're not intending to continue the game, you should resign. That's how you do it. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> basic sportsmanship stuff. Uh, leaving the tournament hall, I think generally speaking that like the organizers should decide uh, more or less this is an ethical case at this point and the organizers should decide how they feel um, they should react to this. But definitely it's, it's a, like the player who got um, who had to sit there for an hour and a half uh, could make a complaint and then the organizer would have to decide like ethically, is this uh, worthy of uh, expulsion from the tournament or uh, or something like that? I don't know exactly, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not uh, not good sportsmanship. Now he said there was a reason why, okay, again, it sounds like a cheating thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's I basically- I, I, I looked at the game, I, I don't know, it's just not, again, I don't see anything here. I, I i did not
1: see the game well i I saw it, but not with the help of the engine. I did not analyze it uh we're going to have to wait uh, and see on that one for the moment my I can tell you like he played realize. at a bullet
0: pace the entire like he literally played at a bullet pace, yeah, I mean um he up until move eleven and I know it wasn't preparation. he had more time than he started with, so he was playing instantly, yeah, less than thirty seconds of move uh and then he uh, made a committal decision on move 12 and he took 50 seconds and it was quite committal and then his opponent didn't react in the best way and he got a slightly better position which he immediately like more or less equalized the position better saved it because he was again playing instant like literally instantly yeah and then he had some interesting opportunities but he played a move in 10 seconds which lost all the advantage and then he proceeded to play a move in one minute and then he got a bit worse then at some point because he was still playing instantly up until like move 30 in a bad position i mean he finished uh, in an hour easy. and 34 minutes so yes yeah then he got into like extreme danger which his opponent let him out of but he did not think at any point in this game while defending when he had like a forced draw but maybe he wanted to still win i don't know maybe he was thinking my opponent has 12 minutes i have an hour and 23 minutes I'm playing at 2,200, therefore I must win this game. Yeah, And again, there was multiple mistakes from both sides, which yeah, this is what you expect is. when you play instantly and your opponent is um, in time trouble. And also 2,298. I mean, good player, but not uh, not at Federer's Saves level. The evaluation swung multiple times. It went from winning to draw. And finally, I'll move 46 while having an hour and 44 minutes on the clock because mm-hmm. he went to the second time control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He spoiled the potential draw. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it just feels like careless play like... I understand he's much better than 2298, but still you have to put some effort into a game or it's not going to go well. I don't think there's any... There's very few cases where you just kind of beat your opponent without effort unless you're playing someone who's like a thousand points lower than you. But Even 500 point difference, or in this case 400 point difference, you still have to put some effort Yep. No, That's this, my
1: this, yeah. this definitely sounds like, uh, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say sore, uh, sore losers, uh, attitude, but, uh, it, it's, it's definitely a dick move to just, uh, live with one hour and 34 minutes from what you just explained. Basically he played a very quick game. He probably had some feelings before the game started as well. Maybe he was still upset about the first game loss. This was round two. Uh, perhaps that played, into his uh, mentality going into this event and 2300 and I do believe that this was a very young guy 2300 could be 2500 um, again I played in Tenerife uh, during the summer against a 2312 uh, player from China right now he's uh, 2476 and he's winning quite a few rating points pretty much 2500 uh, level so yeah at 15 years of um, age or whatever uh, th- th- this Indian kid was, uh, an- anything can happen. You can be 200 rating points higher than, but, the, but this guy was
0: like, tw- he wasn't, uh, he wasn't kid, a young guy. I think he's like 23. Okay. Look, I'm, I don't think the guy is like massively underrated. I just think that he didn't, he didn't take the game seriously. And right. that was the right. result. I mean, normally, yeah, if he had to like applied himself, I think he would have actually probably crushed him that, That's my guess. Um, But a lot of things missed from both sides, basically. Like, I don't see anything weird in the game. Of course, I could be wrong. I'm not going to say definitively. Um, If Fedosev has something to say about it, then we'll wait for that. But uh, I I really don't see anything here. And uh, I like when I was, I'm thinking back to like 2010. uh, I was about 2680 to 2690 in 2010. I was around 2700. So actually around the same rating as Fedosev. I remember playing the Spanish League. Because at the time uh, I was often playing in Spain, mm-hmm. and I remember sometimes playing 2200s. and it could be a real struggle to beat them. If like you don't get a crushing position out of the opening, they don't make terrible blunders. I mean, they you outplay them a bit, but uh, I remember multiple cases where it's a real struggle sometimes to beat players who, if the circumstances don't go right from the start, then yeah, it can just uh, it can just be difficult. Also playing like Italian Championship. Very often I felt like I have to win every single game in the Italian Championship because I was 2650 or so, and a lot of people I played were 2400, 2450, 2350, so on. And it could be a struggle. Like, you you usually win, but then every once in a while you struggle. You drop a draw here. Sometimes you overpress. I remember overpressing on some occasions, and I lose to a 2350 player. Like. Um, it can happen. If uh, if if this if things don't go well, I mean, they're still very capable players. So again, single game, I really don't. Now, if he plays a match against a 2290 and he loses the match, then I will say, yeah, it's it's very likely that Fedor Save is not going to lose a match. This guy was probably cheating, but in one single game, anything can happen. And especially when you're playing like this uh, and you're not really taking it too seriously yeah no careless play uh by Fedosev.
1: we're still waiting more information from him but that's uh our first initial reaction uh to that one and I think you made a very good point 2200s there are no pushovers it 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 takes a while to to win against 2200s you need to calculate certain things you cannot just play like a bullet game and expect um the result that you want just because of that just because you're 500 or 80 points higher so yes 2200 is very difficult to uh to to beat nowadays
0: and in the past as well or so like sometimes it can happen that they just collapse i'll mm-hmm. give you actually an example of someone who's much stronger than 2200 or 2298 i mean andrew tang is a 2500 player right and uh and i would say like with his natural gift for chess he could definitely be much more than that uh, but he's he's not a professional, so right. he's 2,500 or so. And when I played him, circumstances just worked out, that in the opening I got exactly what I wanted, and he was nervous, he wasn't confident, and it fell apart very quickly. So I won a pretty much effortless game. And then he drew every single game after that against 2,700 players. So, uh, again, it's this depends a lot on circumstances. You get the opening you want, like uh, I got the opening I wanted against him, and things really just worked out. But Wesley didn't get the opening he wanted, and Andrew was uh, was never in real danger. And uh, Hans actually did get the opening he wanted, but Andrew put up tremendous resistance and drew a very tough game, like 112 moves. And against Ray, he was never in danger. Like you, you should never underestimate someone just because they're 200 points lower than you. Like Andrew is 200 points lower than Wesley, or more. Um, More still, he can play at the same level uh, at a certain game, right? He can. and obviously, I understand Andrew is much stronger than this Indian guy who beats Fereshteh. But it's still about um, how there's variance, right? There's variance in chess and in terms of players' level during a certain game or during a certain tournament. Um, but the wider issue, I think, is that there's like a very serious degree of paranoia, which is yes, I because of online about- chess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seeps into over-the-board chess, even if over-the-board chess is not rife with cheating but once you get the idea that people are cheating you you start to see it everywhere so it really starts with online chess and it goes into because we we understand people are cheating online chess then it goes into open board chess are they cheating there well you start to get in your head and 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 so on yeah
1: yeah no um and as you were uh, kind of explaining those type of situations, I also thought about maybe Fedosev and a lot of these uh, very um, elite level players, 2700s, they don't generally play against 2300s. Maybe perhaps they don't remember how difficult it is to uh, beat them. They don't take them seriously and then this type of accidents happen. Um, but at the same time, I think there's multiple factors playing in that one is one of them the paranoia that you just mentioned that's another one um and especially if it's fueled by the organizers not making everything possible to uh to assure the players that there's not going to be any cheating so those factors we understand but uh yeah no those uh those were the two big situations in the first three rounds at qatar masters um magnus actually um today uh, drew his uh, game with the black pieces he was lost at one point managed to survive Uh, definitely no easy games at that one Uh, difficult open no easy games at the us championship but for you um doing quite well one point lead going last three i'm not going to keep you for uh, much longer because you still have a game to get ready for good luck. We'll uh, hopefully speak in three days after um, after a successful event. So, without jinxing it, good luck in the last uh, three
0: rounds. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully it goes well. Cool, cool, cool.
1: All right. That's uh, about it. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Don't forget, like, subscribe, all the good stuff. And if you want to support us, there's uh, some donate uh, links around there. We will have We are working very hard on a a merch website. Obviously, things are a bit busy right now with the US Championship, but we hope that we will have some merch coming up for you. And we're trying to do um, something cool, um, something quality, something that you guys would like uh, to wear and represent. So, Keep an eye out for that. We will announce that soon, maybe in the next podcast, maybe in the next few podcasts, as well as on Discord. There will be a link in Discord somewhere in the description below. So join that. That's where we post uh, all the news first. So that's about it. See you guys in the next one. Cheers.